This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and this is the Jack Riccardi Show. Hey, Christian, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Are you thawed out? Are you freezing? What's going on? I'm good. On? I'm good. I'm, right. I'm staying warm, you know. Yep. Um, I'm 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 uh I'm staying warm with these hot news topics is what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um so Ooh. it looks like uh they're saying that uh Sean Payton is going to Denver. Yeah, I've heard that. Doesn't that seem like a and that may happen, but would you want to go to Denver if you were a football coach? I, I you know more about this stuff than I do. I would have thought that Sean Payton was a guy right now that could write his ticket anywhere right that's that would be my thought and if that was true that is not where i would write my ticket no no not with and then the other story is that D'Amico ryan's apparently according to am Schefter, is is in yep as the houston texans head coach that's not a rumor and we talked about this before we we like the guy we don't know if he was just blessed with great personnel in san francisco or he is a defensive genius but i'm not even sure that's what they need so i wish him luck but I mean, it's nice that he's getting a head coaching opportunity. Yeah, that franchise needs a. They need a face of the franchise. They need mm-hmm. a. They they need. I think they need him. We'll see how it turns out. Mm-hmm. But I think he's it's a, a good he's hire. A smart guy. He's a good football guy. He's good yep. with the media. It might, like you say, it might be that he's he's that sort of step in a positive direction. Kind of, you know, if they'd hired some retread guy that's been around before, like Carolina hiring Frank Reich, I think that would have just demoralized the hell out of. That the fan base, you know, plus D'Amico. Like. D'Amico's got a cooler first name, D'Amico. It How many sounds... people do we know named D'Amico? Right, exactly. <laughs> it's got right. unique. Like, you can call me that if you want. I like it. All right. Uh, well, welcome to our dreadful little show. Hope you're doing okay with this weather, which we're not through by any means. In fact, as you listen to Christian and you listen to AccuWeather, I think the worst of this is actually coming tonight. Um, but we're we're dealing with it. We're good. Hopefully, we continue to be good. And I want to start with this because um, we talk about things on this show sometimes, and I, I, I feel like we fall into the trap of just swapping talking points. You know, you, you, I say what you think I'm going to say. You say what you think I want you to say. I want to know what's really, what is really going on here? What do you think is really honestly going on when... Public school educators, and I'm going to play you something that happened in Utah. Utah, okay. These are school uh, administrators hanging out and discussing how they get critical race theory into the curriculum in a sneaky way, how they've, how they've circumvented, now that there's a lot of public attention and public scrutiny, People have woken up to it. The legislature in Utah, like many other states, has passed laws. You may not teach CRT in the schools. The Board of Education, you may not teach CRT in the schools. So the people they're supposed to listen to are telling them, do not do this. And they're hanging out, snarking 
about how they're going to do it anyway. So this is from Accuracy in Media. It's a uh, video recording they made. Uh, cut number one. Listen to this. Yes. The work that him and Gwen Buckley do, like, yeah. going out, having those critical conversations, helping teach her in front load yes, yes. some of those lessons that might be considered, you know, like CRT or white privilege, things like that, how to name things and talk about things. What are you going to do if they pass one of those stupid, like, anti-CRT laws? There's, like, loopholes with it, but it just goes back to the LEA mm-hmm. for equity and for things. And so our... Whenever our team goes out, we don't do an opt-out prior to. They just go out, meet the kids, work with them. We operate like a math department. And then we give a letter after they go out saying, we were in your school. And this is what they talked about. And we have a, a teacher at the high school, and his name's Isaac. When all of this stuff happened, he had Black Lives Matter flat great big one. Um, and he was just loud and proud. And even after the board said, you know, you can't have... A flag bigger than the American flag. I mean, it was huge. It was huge. Um, you know, bigger than the American flag. You know, you mm-hmm. got it. And he was like, yeah, I'm Good. going to. And whereas other teachers were fearful, right? Right. Um, he was like, fire me. Oh, right. Yeah. And and he's got enough tenure, and they're like, okay. You know, yeah. he's like, right, yep, fire me. I, but before I was in this role, um, my oh, right. department did, we did a, discourse unit on social justice issues. What does the MAGA crowd or the church say when you start talking about social justice? Oh, you teach to a group of seniors at West Jordan High and they don't they It's an elected. Yeah. Well, it was a required class. It was English yeah. 12. So. Oh, yeah. Even with that woke curriculum, so I came up with an alternate curriculum for that okay. child. Mm-hmm. It is still an SEO curriculum. <laughs> right? And but, it's like, so how about your child do this and this and this during that time? That sounds fantastic. Usually, well, of course it's not, but it's for oh. this, it meets the same objectives. Okay. There are things as a high school teacher that frustrated me, like, you can't ask for pronouns that they made that law. I still did. I still did. And okay. a lot of the high school teachers I know, especially in the English department, because we were like, this is bull crap. Like, we still did. So these are middle-aged people, from what I can tell. They all look like they've been in the education business for a while. I'm going I'm to assume that. I mean, maybe they, maybe they switched into it. But if you see people in their 30s and early 40s, you, you think this is probably what they've been doing. Um, what what is what is going on here? I mean, I don't want to hear that there's a conspiracy and it's the UN and it. These are people who, for whatever reason, are not only defying their their customers, the parents, but they're 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 happy about it. And it's not enough to say well they're liberal or they're democratic or they're uh you know they're woke the, the, why would people in education be so happy about this boasting about teaching CRT you know i understand there are CRT activists Th- these are people in education these these are people that signed up to be teachers and and or administrators and what they're saying is you can make all the laws, you can make all the rules, uh, we're going to lie, and we're going to lie to these parents right to their face. We're going to, we're going to conspire with the kids to keep from their parents what we're doing. They're proud of circumventing the rules. They're proud of tricking you. 
your kids might have not had school today because of the weather, but how do you send your kids to school if this is the mindset, if this is the mentality? And I'm not, I didn't pick from California or Massachusetts. It's Utah. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's not a state we think of as, oh, they're really out there. So if you have kids in public school or you did, what, what do you think is going on here? Explain this to me. 210 599 5555. I don't want talking points. I want to know what you honestly think is in the minds and hearts of the people you just heard. Why do they do it? Why do they do it? So I listened to the governor on our uh, top of the hour news say that the grid is fine and people should not confuse local power outages with the grid failing. And I thought that is a sad commentary that you have to explain that. That people would think if, if a transformer goes down, if a, if a branch falls down, um, if somebody spins out and takes out a pole or what have you, uh, if, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a local outage, that means the grid has failed. And I guess what that tells me is we're, we're, we're having to talk about, uh, the grid so much that we now think everything is, is the grid. The governor is very big on saying that the grid is up to the challenge and the grid is ready. But the real question to me is not whether or not we're ready for this, what looks like a three day storm. I hope we are. The real question is why do Republicans as well as Democrats in Texas keep fiddling around and and uh, propping up and subsidizing so-called renewable energy. Because we're never going to be sure of that grid until we're sure of what runs it. And wind is not something you want to depend on on a day like this. Solar is not something you want to depend on on a day like this. And now that we seem to be having these kinds of Weather events more often than not in Texas. Um, the stability of the grid matters, but where we where we make our energy matters too. So I'm glad the governor feels like everything is good, but I would ask the governor, I would ask a lot of these Republicans, why the flirtation with something that is futile? And, um, you know, on a day when there's no wind or very little wind, you could double the number of wind turbines. You could triple the number of wind turbines, and it wouldn't matter. I was reading an article about how a, uh, a wind farm in Canada produced negative energy for two days. And I'd never heard that before. I didn't know what negative, I mean, I know what negative energy is. Like, oh, she really has some negative energy. But in, in the, in the industry, negative energy means that it costs more energy or it uses more energy to operate something than it generates. And there was so little wind for two days in this region of Canada that the blades were not turning at all, but they still needed to power the wind farm. There's lights and computers and people work there and stuff. So it actually used electricity while producing zero. And apparently that happens. So wind farms are capable of producing negative energy which i'd never heard of before and it seems like not a great selling point 
to me, I don't know, tell me what you think, 210-599-5555. And then the president was uh, out yesterday campaigning for electric vehicles. He says that on his watch, we are going to electrify the great American road trip, the great American road trip. And he said, you can get up to $7,500 on a new electric vehicle. The government will give you 70. There's such a good idea. We will give you money to buy one. I just bought a vehicle. The government didn't give me anything for it. $7,500 tax credit will make energy uh, or make electric vehicles more affordable for Americans. But he was sitting in a $125,000 Hummer. I don't think if you're buying a $125,000 car or a $269,000 car that $7,500 will make a very big difference. I'm not saying that there will not be more affordable EVs in the future. There may be. But imagine sitting there on a day when people can't buy eggs and meat, and you are telling them, take the Great American Road Trip in your new electric vehicle, we'll give you a $7,500 credit. And why is the President of the United States, like Ricardo Montalban now, posing with vehicles? I, I, this, is, this is weird to me that we're not asking, why is he doing it? Why is he the nation's car salesman in chief? Why is he, and I'm a car buff and I don't, I don't mind presidents visiting car factories or I don't mind that they, but he's, he's pushing this hard. Is it possible that we're having to push it hard because it, it doesn't really, when people sit down and think about it or look, look at it, it really doesn't make sense to them. Not yet anyway. And is it even the job of politicians? to determine our future consumption patterns. Like, yes, maybe in 10 years or 20 years or 40 years, but that isn't their business. Their business is right now. Their business is providing right now, and they're not doing it. I've never seen so much concern about what Americans would be driving in 20 years. I don't know what I'll be driving in 20 years. I don't know if I'll be driving in 20 years. We need leadership now. We need solutions to the challenges now. When did he, when did he become this sort of rolling TED talk about the future? Not dealing at all with the present. No strategy for Ukraine. No answers about inflation. A guy that, I don't mean to be cruel when I say this, don't get mad. A guy that won't be with us in 2040 is trying to determine what we'll all be doing in 2040. That just seems weird to me. Anybody else? 210-599-5555. How are you, uh, how do you explain these teachers? And, and it, we have this almost every day from somewhere. Today it's Utah. Hidden camera video. They're shooting the breeze, talking shop. I understand when you do that. Sometimes you say some stuff that's a little exaggerated. You know, everybody gets a little. You know, a little punchy at the end of the workday or whatever. We all brag a little bit or what have you. So I'll, I'll allow for some of that. But the, the gist of the conversation we played for you is these dolt parents aren't going to stop us from teaching CRT. The law is not going to stop us. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to sneak it past them. We're going to find other names for it. And, um, we're getting it out there and nothing will stop us 
and we are flat out determined. They are so determined. You think to yourself, if they were this committed, if they were this committed to kids being able to read, every kid would be able to read. If they were this committed to everybody in America learning their, you know, civics, we'd have the most educated, aware group of Americans ever. What explains their passion? Why are they on fire to teach CRT? Or, or, or even if you want to answer it another way, tell me honestly, what is driving their desire to break all the rules, defy the instructions they've been given, the guidance they've been given, the laws that have been passed, the preferences of the community. They even talk about how they know they have to lie to the parents because the parents don't want this. The parents have figured it out. What is this about? 210-599-5555. Esteban is on KTSA. Esteban, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, as a son of a school administrator and a lot of teachers in my in my family, I've seen a yeah. lot of stupid parents. Unfortunately, those stupid parents justify really arrogant and conceited behavior by school administrators and teachers who feel they are they simply know more than the, than the parent does. The parent there's a lot there's enough parents to justify in a warped mind the attitude that all parents are stupid. And so you have the parents whose kid who uh, who borderline abuse their kids but but can't get caught. And you have parents that dump kids in the classroom that are horrible and in a warped conceited warped logic the teacher uses those parents to justify abusing all parents. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of good parents out there. And so when you the parents who are opposed to CRT are really the kind of parents whose kids you want in the classroom, but in the you spend so much time in the classroom and you just get so conceited mm. in your own arrogance. Well, I, let, let me ask you this though, Esteban, because I, I I hear what you're saying. In other words, if I can sum it up, um, when you see how much bad parenting there is as a teacher, you start to think I, I am going to have to make up for it. However, however. It seems that they are almost uniquely focused on this. They're not demonically committed to mathematics or grammar or American history. It's this. You could, because what you're saying could be the justification for any number of other, I'm going to make these kids better or I'm going to give them what they're not getting at home, but it's only this issue. See Thomas Sowell's book, Vision of the Anointed. Uh, you know, I read Vision of the Anointed, but what, what what do you mean? What does that have to do with this? They, some people are so convinced that uh, the righteousness of their cause, mm-hmm. they don't see that, uh, any other point of view. I discussed things. Mm-hmm. I discussed the Obama lunches with this with the far, former school administrator, and it's the same mentality. So they're and sure they're right about CRT, but I mean they've. Do they believe they are above the law? Because they have a law in their state that says this can't be in the classroom, and they're saying in this conversation, we'll just change the name of it, and they won't know we're doing it. So, I mean, I, I get the vision of the anointed, but you're 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 literally stealing. You're you're literally breaking and entering, and you've told yourself you can do that. That's okay. 
Yeah, laws are for little people. We know better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's interesting. I, I I like the theory, Esteban. I do. I I wish. I only wish that they were this devoted to teaching other subjects. If your theory is parenting sucks and parents are awful and we see so many kids that don't get what they need, well, then give them what they need. Give them what they need. This isn't what they need. Hate isn't what they need. White guilt isn't what they need. And I don't see this same level of commitment. We're going to, nothing will stop us from teaching geometry. You don't hear those conversations. You just don't. 210-599-5555. All right. Uh, we're going to get to your calls on this. We're going to talk about uh, why uh, they're scheduling a war with China in two years. Uh, and do you believe it? And should we? In recent days, uh, the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Mike McCall from here, and uh, four-star Air Force General Mike Minahan have said publicly and grimly that we are going to have a war with China, or we could have a war with China over Taiwan as soon as 2025. You've been hearing about war with China probably most of your life. You don't often hear people put it right on the calendar like that. So let's talk about that with our next guest. Joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, Michael Cunningham is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Asian Studies Center. Mr. Cunningham, thanks for coming on KTSA. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me, Jack. Is it, um, I mean, these are two well-qualified people to have an opinion. Do you uh, share their opinion, and why would they be saying it publicly? Well, we have to be ready for a war with China. We have to be ready today, not not two years from now, uh, definitely not five or ten years from now. Uh, we need to be ready today. Now, with that said, um, China does not want a war over Taiwan until it is very well prepared to win, uh, until it is 100% sure that it can win. So the real fear um, for those of us who really look at the Chinese Communist Party and understand what's driving its decision-making isn't that it's going to go and invade Taiwan by 2025, for example, but it is that the reckless military exercises that it is uh, conducting around the island, uh, which it believes is to deter action by Taiwan and the U.S. Uh, to permanently and legally separate Taiwan from China, but its, its actions are uh, such uh, widespread and, and uh, reckless, really, that they can easily lead to uh, escalation. We are in a classic security dilemma, and if war does break out, uh, because of this escalation, our military is not currently in a very good position to sustain uh, the kind of long protracted war that would result. I, I also would, I, I agree with you, but I would also question whether or not our leaders have even made the case to the American people as to why they would do that. We, we seem to be skipping over the part where you tell people. This is why we have to do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I respect Taiwan, and I, whenever you meet Taiwanese Americans, it is very clear that they do not see themselves as part of mainland China. So I, I respect that they're, they're good allies, they're a democracy. But, but how do you tell people that this thing that is looming over them actually is something we need to do? Yeah, that's a, a very important uh, point. Um, really, you know, uh, I, I think the former um, 
the, the former prime minister of Japan said it really well when he said an emergency, he said this about a, a year ago before he was assassinated, was that uh, an emergency over Taiwan would be an emergency for Japan. And I would say the same thing for the U.S. Now, why is this? Our semiconductors that, that we use for everything um, are uh, the majority of these uh, semiconductors are coming from Taiwan. Um, now, this is for uh, our electronics, it's for our, our aircraft vehicles, for all sorts of um, uh, stuff that we just rely on. So that's one aspect here. But another aspect is just the geopolitical aspect. Now, I know most uh, average people don't really think about geopolitics too much. They don't really think about uh, the, the sea lanes of, of communication around Taiwan and, and really about uh, the, the military uh, importance of the island. But essentially, if, if China were to occupy Taiwan, then it would have a launching pad for its military uh, and, and things would not stop in, in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and American interests in the Asia Pacific um, mm -hmm. and throughout the world would be affected by that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've also read that the, the Chinese are watching for the results of uh, next year's election in Taiwan. Why is that a factor? What is it they're watching for there? Yeah, that's... Um, Super important. Next, uh, literally a year from now, Taiwan will have uh, an election uh, for president and for its, uh, its legislature as well. And basically, uh, China is hoping to get what, in its opinion, is the least bad outcome. So Taiwan, like the U.S., is mostly a two-party democracy. There are some smaller political parties as well. But the, the, the current party in power um, is officially uh, pro-independence, which is uh, China's red line. If you cross this, they, they have no choice for their own uh, domestic legitimacy. They would have to act with force. Um, and so they're really afraid of that. Um, and then the, the opposition party, uh, the uh, Guomindang or the, the um, Nationalist Party, it is uh, more pragmatic when it comes to China. So it has basically the same stance, which is that uh, under no circumstances will they accept China's version of unification. Mm. But uh, it, it, um, they take positions, they agree with China's one China principle. Um, and uh, under this principle, China's willing to talk with them. So last time we had uh, the Nationalist Party in power, actually the tensions were dialed down significantly and we had all sorts of um, uh, cross-strait uh, collaboration and, and uh, uh, peace and, and mm -hmm. cooperation uh, in ways that um, at the time the U.S. was very supportive of. Um, now, uh, you know, will things be able to be that calm if, if, the, if that party gets back in power? Um, it's hard to say because their mm. position is also moderating. They also are not able politically to be as friendly to China as mm. they were before. It's, so yeah, we're t it's it's like it's like the sands in the hourglass are dwindling uh, for everybody. Uh, we're talking with Michael Cunningham uh, from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is this: 
we keep hearing stories about these bubbles right in the in the chinese economy they've got a property bubble that dwarfs any of the bubbles we've had in this economy or the global economy they've got some other issues structural economic issues does their economic weakness and and potential uh economic downturn does that make it more or less likely that they would feel they had to move on taiwan it, it would make it less likely in the immediate term. So, and, and you know, the, the two people that you mentioned um, uh, at, at the beginning of, of this conversation, they also are not saying anything would happen this year. Um, they're pointing to two years from now, right? Um, this year uh, in Beijing, they are going to be hyper-focused on their own domestic problems. Uh, they, as you said, it's it's not just the economic problems; it's also their uh, their COVID tsunami that they're having right now, um, that has been a huge blow for the government's legitimacy. And they are, you know, probably going to get their um, their their image back on track uh, for to to the public. But um, but it's going to take a lot of a lot of effort, and they are also doubling down on trying to fix the economy, which they've been neglecting the past mm-hmm. couple of years. Uh, so that's really what their focus is going to be on. There's nothing that scares the Chinese leaders more than internal strife and uh, a war with external powers as well. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they're going to be hyper-focused on their own problems this year at least. Yeah, which buys everybody else a little more time michael cunningham at the heritage foundation i I, very interesting i've learned a lot i hope we can bring you back again i hope you'll come back again with us thank you i'll look forward to it thanks so we're talking about a few things here uh war with china which um if i understand michael cunningham uh is probably dependent on other things that china is watching and doing first but um i this is the kind of thing that leaders prepare people for and we're not getting that we're not getting leadership i don't think anyway uh and then we talked about uh the president being the car salesman in chief for electric vehicles and why he's doing that and is it credible to you that an 80 year old joe biden can show us the way he he he's the one that knows and he he gives you confidence that uh, this is what we're going to be doing in 5, 10, 20 years. I'm not trying to be an ageist, but it just seems to me like you would want to, you know, maybe take a look at the messenger here. You know what I mean? I mean, this this is a guy that can't even tell his own story clearly and crisply, much less show us the way into our electric vehicle future. I want to play this for you. He he keeps telling this Amtrak story. He's been telling it for years, and he still can't tell it. He still can't get it right. Uh, this was the other day when he was at a uh, train station outside of Baltimore, cut number two. When I was vice president, I flew over a million miles on Air Force Two, and I was uh, going home as a United States uh, as vice president. And one of the conductors said to me, Hey, Joe, big deal, million, whatever, 200, you said, you've, you've traveled over a million miles on Amtrak. I said, how the hell do you know that? And they added it up. But, but folks, look, I made a thousand trips through this tunnel. Uh, you know what I thought when I heard that was, 
why in the hell is a vice president, I don't care which party it is, flying a million miles? There's something wrong with that right there. And then he, he told a story that cannot possibly be true about how when he would ride on Amtrak, he could ride up front with the engineers. Take a listen to this, cut number four. Anytime I see a train door open, I head for it. By the way, I can say it now since I know the uh, there's different leadership. I used to about uh, 15% of the time ride with the engineers. For real. And I'm the only guy that I'm aware of when I stopped riding Amtrak that had a key to get in the back. So uh, you you can tell your predecessor he's gone after that. Uh, uh, no, uh, no, just no. You had a key. You rode with the engineers. You know what? Uh, first of all, why you're you're the president of the United States? Who becomes president and then says, "I need some cool stories"? You know, like. <laughs> but also, I mean, it's. It, it, it beggars belief, right? Like, I, I can't imagine that he had some key. What, did they let him drive the train? Did he, could he take a train out when he wanted one? I mean, we're getting to that point. He'll be telling that version of it in six months. Um, but again, this is the guy, and I, I'm not trying to poke fun here. I'm making the point. This is a guy who does not have his own bio straight in his head, cannot cobble together a version of his own life, real or fictional. But we're supposed to take his word for it that the EV future is locked in. I don't even know that he believes that. So let's talk about that. And then, yeah, the, the teachers in Utah, what are they up to? What's Honestly, what is that all about? Because if we made laws that said you can't teach these things or teach in this way, which they are aware of, and parents have made their feelings patently clear, which they are aware of, and they say it, and they say, we're, st- we're going to do it anyway to these idiots, then what do you do with that? We uh, we have a JR poll. You're voting in at 210-599-5555 about the weather, and did it change your day? We're going to keep a, an eye on this weather. We're obviously in the midst of a winter storm warning. Uh, this is basically, a th- we're, we're in basically a three-day weather event, and we're kind of, uh, 24 hours uh, into it, so we will continue to keep tabs on that. You know, you can get real-time information and color radar from our KTSA AccuWeather at KTSA.com. We played um, some audio uh, that was recorded by uh, somebody with accuracy in media of teachers and administrators. They're in kind of a cubicle. It looks like maybe a district office or something. Uh, setting in Utah, and they're talking about how they're teaching uh, critical race theory in the schools, even though the the state has a law against it, the district has a policy against it, and obviously parents have risen up against it. it. There's a lot of boasting and fronting up in this, and maybe some of it could be chalked up to that kind of the way you know when you shoot the breeze after work you, t- you know we always have a better idea of how to run the company than the boss does and all that stuff i mean even allowing uh for some of that 
Uh, this is the Jordan School District in Jordan, Utah. And they're talking about how they basically just get around the rules by lying to the parents, uh, by telling the kids to lie. Um, and even when parents come in and say, I want my kid to opt out of this curriculum, uh, one of them says, we just come up with uh, the same curriculum under a different name, and they don't even realize it. Here's some of what it sounded like. What does the MAGA crowd or the church say when you start talking about social justice? Oh, uh, you teach two group of seniors at West Jordan High, and they don't learn. It's an elective. Yeah. Well, it was a required class. It was yeah. Oh, yeah. Even with that woke curriculum, so I came up with an alternate curriculum for that okay. child. Mm-hmm. It is still an SEO curriculum. <laughs> Right? And it's like, so how about your child do this and this and this during that time? That sounds fantastic. Usually, well, of course it's not, but it's uh, it meets the same objectives. Okay. I mean, um, I understand how activists see this, and we've talked about this. It's not worth going over again. Just yesterday, we talked about the fact that when it comes to race, and division over race, that is for some people their business. And they're going to do and say whatever is good for that business. It's hateful, it's hurtful, it's damaging to the society we live in, but they're going to do it. These are supposed to be school administrators. These are people in the business of education. And I'm just curious to know what you think, honestly, is really going on here. Were they always like this? Are these like sleeper agents where they've only been pretending to be educators so they could get into position to have this effect? I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds kind of far-fetched, like something like from a Cold War novel where somebody lives in America for 25 years and then they activate him and he's the Manchurian candidate. Is that what's going on here? Are these people that are... um as Esteban, our caller last hour, put it, just so unimpressed with the quality of parenting that they figure, I, I know better. I'm going to be the parent. And if that is true, why aren't they trying to improve the total young person? Why this singular focus and, and devotion to critical race theory? Why not English or math or science or civics or things that would be equally, if not more, important to know if you're going to make it in the world. So, again, I get that there's activism. I get the belief system. What do you think is going on here? 210-599-5555. Dean says, um, I hear a lot of spite and disrespect toward the parents. The attitude seems to be, you rubes are going to tell us what to do. Screw you. Um Joe says they blabbed their intentions for one mission to bring attention to themselves. If they truly wanted to do something in secret, they wouldn't tell anyone. People want you to look at them. Well, they're talking to one another, and they're talking shop. So maybe they don't know that you and I are going to be hearing this and, and, and talking about it. But they also seem very unconcerned about the fact that they're violating laws in their state like that's not a big deal you know it used to be kind of a joke right if you wanted to describe somebody as prim and and kind of i don't know uh proper you'd say they were school marmish right like they were kind of like the school marm 
she wore practical shoes and she drove a practical car and she had her hair pulled back in a bun because it was practical. These these people are like, let it rip, YOLO, La Shma. What's going on here? What do you think? 210-599-5555. We're talking about um, Biden being the nation's number one electric vehicle salesman. I couldn't help but notice watching the football game Sunday. I don't know if you saw this or not, or if you watched the games. It seemed like every third ad was a car company selling a car that 99.9% of the viewing audience could not afford and does not want. All electric cars and trucks. Now, in case you don't know, if you go to a car lot right now, 99.9% of the cars they have in their inventory are gasoline-powered cars. But the ads are 99.9% for electric cars. And I'm not against them, and I'm not trying to get you to be against them. They're not for me, at least not right now. But if you want one, that's great. But when I watched all these ads during the NFC and AFC championship games, I thought to myself, I think I know the demographics of the viewing audience. I don't think it's the Davos crowd watching the Bengals and the Chiefs, is it? I don't think it is. So either the NFL has no idea who their audience is, or the television advertisers have no idea who's watching the NFL. And by the way, the ads are annoying. You know, they're really kind of DB, if you ask me. Um, they're, they're really not even about the car. They're They're really about the you know, the lifestyle, and you're a better person, and you're saving turtles, and your dog will love you. And I see these electric trucks climbing up the sides of cliffs and mountains. I'm thinking, what's the range if you're you're using it that way? I know these things have a 300-mile range or whatever on roads, but when you're climbing up the side of a snow-covered mountain in one i wonder what the range is and do you charge is there a charging station at the top i mean you know that's what you kind of wonder about right so you kind of you kind of get the feeling that a um we're not advertising what's for sale anymore we're advertising politics we're advertising attitude you need to change your mind we don't have these vehicles for you yet We don't have enough of them. Don't come flocking in to buy one because we don't have them. There's a waiting list for many of them. Oh, and you're not going to be able to afford one anyway. And yet, that's what they're advertising. They're not even really advertising, come in and buy one. It's almost like they're trying to convey a new attitude. Hey, you may not have one now, but you're going to be a better person when you get one. Your dog will love you. Your girlfriend will love you. You'll be better looking. You'll be going on all kinds of adventures. You'll be in the desert and you're, you know, and, um, I just, I started to think to myself, they really don't like us as we are, do they? I mean, I, I remember when I was in school and we, I had to take advertising classes as part of a communications degree. The whole purpose back then was know your audience and learn about your audience. And the most successful people were people that knew who they were marketing to. 
But now they don't like who they're marketing to. They don't like our preferences. They don't like our values. They don't like the things we're doing and driving and buying and eating and drinking now. We need to be eating bugs, not meat. They don't like America. Corporate America is not a big fan of America. It's interesting. Never seen it like this before. White House announced yesterday that the public health emergency for COVID-19 will be declared over on May 11th. I'm a little confused. Uh, I didn't know that the science could pinpoint the end of a years-long pandemic. I, I, I'm, I'm puzzled by how you can schedule the end. Why would you pick such a specific date? I mean, I, I'm not even, I'm, I'm skipping over the wh- why are we still in the emergency part. You, you can do that on your own, but. Um, what, what is the science behind May 11th? They can't possibly know what'll be going on in the world, in the country, May 11th. The, the, the virus, the little spiky thing hasn't told them what it's going to be doing between now and May 11th. Maybe things will be better. Maybe things will be worse. Currently, it seems to me, this virus is a non-factor in most people's lives. But I just wonder if this is more sort of political gamesmanship. Are we getting to the point where Biden will announce he's running for re-election? Are we coinciding this with a funding resolution? The president told... 60 minutes last September the 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 pandemic was over now the public health emergency will be declared over on May 11th but I would pencil that on your calendar cuz you know you know how these things are right 14 days right west point is um reinstating the travel ban on unvaccinated cadets According to an attorney named R. Davis Yunts, who's representing some cadets who were um, uh, let go because of their lack of vaccination status. So they recently, um, West Point recently um, had to accede to or agree to the lifting of the military mandate for the vaccine but they are not letting unvaxed unvaxed cadets uh, travel. It it does seem like there's just a a kind of um, convenience to this pandemic. I'm I'm not saying that they started it, but there's a class of people who have taken it in their hands and are just using it like a wild card in a card game. You know how when you play a a game with cards like Uno or something, there are those cards that can stand for anything, and you can just use them for anything? So this is just the tool for whatever we want to do, whoever we want to punish, whatever we want to stop, whatever we want to control, whatever law we need to get around, It's worth noting that 
Um, I keep hearing people say we're not ready for the next pandemic. Bill Gates said this yesterday. We're not ready for the next pandemic. Well, maybe some people aren't, but I know people who are. People like this. They're totally ready for it. In fact, they're not even in need of the next one. They're just going to keep playing this card. And if there's a new one, well, they'll just add that card to their deck. What do you think? 210 599 55. We've been talking about the EVs. We've been talking about war with China. And um, they signed a bill in Utah on Saturday that prohibits gender transition surgeries and puberty blockers for minors in most cases. This follows other states um, that have considered or are passing such bills. There's several other states that are doing what Utah just did. Um, So the bill passed on party lines in the Utah legislature, and the governor of Utah, who's a Republican, signed it. It prohibits, quote, permanent and life-altering gender transition treatments for minors, unquote, and bans puberty blockers for any patient not already diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And I guess what I wonder about with this is... um, we we all remember, I think, when we were in school, I know I do, that there were children who were different in all kinds of ways. Maybe you were one of them. And we all remember acts of kindness by other students or by a teacher to make someone who felt different, looked different, acted differently, feel included and involved and welcome. And that is the right thing to do. That is that is our highest calling. How did we combine or conflate being kind to people who are different? Being kind to people we don't understand. How did we conflate that with a minor can have a surgery can have a a gender transition treatment, can have drugs, can have puberty-blocking medications without parental consent that are permanent, that can be deadly, that can be psychologically devastating as well as physically devastating. I don't know how many more pictures of teenage girls with mastectomy scars I want to look at. 15-year-old girls with double mastectomy scars. You know, that photos like that just make you question what what happened to civilization, right? How is something like this controversial? How is that a party line vote? How is it that we only have two political parties in this country? And one of them thinks that's fine, we need that. I'm not talking about a few people, I'm talking about one whole party. I don't, I'm not even, it's not even a, a question of let's debate it. How did we even get to that point? I've never been in prison, but they say in every movie I've ever seen, every television show I've ever seen, every book I've ever read, that when it comes to prison, the lowest on the pecking order 
are people who prey on children, right? They're the lowest life form. They're below the murderers. They're below the rapists. They're below the gang members. They're the criminals. Other criminals turn on. That's what they say. I would imagine that's true. But now we're defending a kind of grooming. We're defending a kind of predation, if you will. Salon.com did a piece about what they called the moral panic of the right wing when it comes to things like drag queen story hour and books in the schools. It's outlandish conspiracy theories from talk radio, says Salon. So I guess you're listening to that right now. Welcome. I don't know, I haven't made a study of how widespread this is. I don't know how many times a day this happens. But I would say as a father, um, one is one too many. This is a uh, drag queen uh, event that families and children were attending. Um, and um, I'm going to play this for you. This is a little uh, salty. This is a little edgy. Uh, but the uh, the drag queen is offering a toast to the people in the room, and you can see families and children in the audience. And just 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 take a listen to this. Cut number seven. All right, now, I'm going to do a quick little cheers that I normally do. I mean, I know there's little babies here, but close your ears. <laughs> I, this is just a tradition that all shows hopefully do. So raise your glasses. Cheers to you. Cheers to me. Cheers to the ones that lick us where we pee. Yeah! Cheers to the ones that lick us where we pee. But I'll have to remember that for my next uh, next time I'm uh, asked to give a toast at a wedding. I'm always I never know what to say. Now I'm good. I've got them all said. Uh, you know, you can question, and we have before. Wh- why are parents bringing their kids to this stuff? I mean, it, th- this all ends if you stop bringing your kids to this stuff. And I don't understand it. I don't have an explanation. We've talked about it. But I want to come back to the idea that he says, I know there's little babies here, but how is that not grooming? How is that not just as bad as when we were kids, you were supposed to be afraid of the guy in the white van with the free candy or puppies? I I want to understand why we are defending this. I am not saying that we shouldn't make every effort to be inclusive and welcoming and kind to others, and we don't always have to understand other people. And I'll, you can be what you want to be, and you can call yourself what you want to call yourself. But what possible reason would there be to talk to children like this? To even point out that you are saying this in front of children. Like, you're, you're making the point 
I'm going to say this, and the kids are going to hear me say it. And I spare you, just so you know, and Don, you know this, there's worse stuff out there that we could be playing every day. I just don't want to, you know, you've had a long day, you're going home, you're wrapping up your day. I don't want to make it worse. But what are we doing here? You know, how is this not grooming children? How is this not trying to norm behaviors? What does this do to families? What is this organized effort against the nuclear family? Against just traditional values? I mean, I I get it. Not everybody shares them. Okay, all right. But if somebody's raising a family... And it's a traditional family. Even if that's not your cup of tea, you don't agree with it, that's not how you live or you want to live, can can you just let them do it? Why do you need their kids? What's the the why here to all of this? 210-599-5555. When did we blur the line between gay rights, which... I have gay friends, I have gay family members, I've talked about this many, many times with them, I've listened to them. What I took away from those conversations was that they were merely wanting to be able to do things I do, or you do. That they were merely wanting to be able to go home to who they wanted to go home to, to love who they wanted to love, to live how they wanted to live. And I'm thinking, I'm fine with all that. When did we go from that to this um, where we want your kids? You know? I mean, what what is that? Where are the feminists? A, A hallmark, a cornerstone of feminism used to be um, this this idea that womanhood was a thing of great dignity that we in fact we couldn't ima- we couldn't begin to appreciate how incredible women are all that they do all the strength that they have the the value to society we need and now these hypersexualized cartoon character Halloween costumed men are now the epitome of American womanhood. So if you're an accomplished woman, you own a business, you have a career, you are a breadwinner. No one's asking you to come read books to the kids at the, at the local library. No one's asking you to offer a toast. No one's holding you up on a pedestal and saying, hey, kids, this could be you someday. Do what she did. Make the choices she made. Look at how great she's doing. But, but some guy who looks like Jessica Rabbit is the ideal. How did feminists let that happen? There's a few that are speaking out. J.K. Rowling is one of them. I just I can't imagine why there aren't waves of them, why we aren't deafened by the uproar. If all the women all my life that have been demanding dignity and rights and recognition for women, if we were hearing from them now, we'd go deaf from the noise of their anger. 
So it's not only impossible to know what this guy is doing and why people like him do what they do and say what they say, but it's also really hard to understand why there isn't more reaction to it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm looking at this in a very personal way because I am a father and I have a daughter and I want the best for her. And she's of the age where she's about to go into the world and make of it whatever she's going to make of it. And I'm excited about that and I'm scared about that and I'm proud of her. And I think to myself, there must be other guys like me. There must be women. There must be moms and, and even women that haven't had children, but, but all their lives have fought for children, for, for, uh, for women to be appreciated. How many times have you had a woman say, you, you men could never give birth. You'd never be able to do it. And now we're, we're supposed to believe that men do. <laughs> we skipped over the part where they used to say you wouldn't be able to do it. Now it's, you're only politically correct if you claim they are doing it. Oh, yes, men are having babies every day. Just get down to the Methodist. They're churning them out. That is crazy to me. I'm not even saying this is a conservative or political stripes. or any, This is just like a human thing. And maybe we're the frogs in the pot of boiling water and we didn't notice that it was happening. I'll, I'll put myself in that category. Maybe I, maybe I was asleep at the switch for a while, but what... What is going on here? That that toast is surreal. And they all applauded. I'm not questioning drag queens. I'm not questioning what adults do in their own time with their own lives. That's fine, you know. I, I, I am questioning why we would bring our kids to an event hosted by, featuring uh, a drag queen. I, I'm, I'm puzzled. Would you also take them to a gentleman's club? In fact, you couldn't, right? They wouldn't let you. I saw a video. Again, I don't bore you with all this stuff. We could play them all day, every day. There was a, This was from Maine, another hotbed of... Utah, Maine, I mean, come on. Uh, this is from Maine. And it was about a teacher, um, public school teacher, uh, who is transgender, born a man, transitioned to a woman. And he wrote his TikTok and OnlyFans uh, handles on the whiteboard at the front of the classroom encouraging students to check out his videos, which were suggestive and sexual in nature. So have we hired groomers? Have we accidentally hired child predators? The, remember uh, Dateline? Remember that reporter? who would always do the to catch a predator thing. can't think of his name. He made his name on it. He did them for years. He's still out there. But remember they would do those hidden camera, you know, sting operation things. And you'd always think to yourself, wow, it's creepy because these guys look like regular everyday people, but they're showing up to have sex with a 12-year-old. 
Have we been hiring them in the schools? Is that's what is that what's happened? Or uh, or did we hire people and then they went haywire after we hired them? Do we need more? Like you, you find out something like this, I, I would think you're fired immediately today. Leave. Don't come back. You know, even Europe isn't doing what we're doing. I, I brought this up yesterday because progressives always like to lament that we're not more like Europe. But they should be careful about that because on a lot of things progressives value, Europe's not doing this crazy stuff. Okay? Europe's not letting non-citizens vote. Europe's not um, uh, letting children have transgender treatments and therapies and drugs without parental consent. Europe's even more uh, limited on abortion than we are in many states. But we should really ask ourselves if the places we think of as more laissez-faire and enlightened and, you know, live and let live and let it all, if they're not doing this stuff, what the hell are we doing? This isn't all of Western civilization. This is us. And it's us because I think we're stunned. You know, I imagine people hear this stuff, and I know you hear it probably differently than I do because, you know, I'm I'm doing this for a living. I'm reading the news all day. Who does that unless it's in your job description? But I imagine people are hearing this bits and pieces and then passing, and they're stunned. What? Did I hear that right? I must not have heard that right. And... The question should be not do children want these things, drag queens, obscene toasts, OnlyFans videos from their teachers. The question is why would adults, whatever their persuasion, want to perform, expose these things to children? And we used to have a term for that. We called them predators. We called them molesters. We called them deviants. We had television shows that featured their entrapment and capture because that was seen as a good thing. When Chris Hansen took people off the street, everybody was glad. Nobody said, how dare he? I guess you couldn't do it now. So... How did that happen, and why is that happening? What does it say about adults that would want to do this? Uh, 210-599-5555. You know, I was thinking, um, this is kind of a maudlin thought, I guess, but I was listening to David Bowie um, the other night, and uh, his music. He wasn't talking to me. And, um, and he passed away in January some years ago. And we just lost uh, David Crosby. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else, Don, that we uh, lost, a major singer that we lost in the last few weeks. Uh, There's news today that Barrett Strong, the Motown legend, uh, has passed away. And, of course, you know, um, there's something about January that you just seem to lose a lot of these people in January. I feel like David Bowie went in January. I think Tom Petty passed away in January. So 
I'm one of those people who always says about his favorite singers, one of these days I'm going to see them live. And my list of people that I waited too long for keeps getting longer and longer. You know, oh, I waited too long. Oh, now I'll never. So if you could buy a ticket to see one rock star, one singer, one, any, any kind of music who's no longer with us, if there was a chance to see them one more time, whether it was John Lennon, whether it was David Bowie, whether it was uh, Whitney Houston, who would it be? You get one more chance, one more ticket, one more show to see somebody that's, that's you know, moved on to the ultimate Hall of Fame. 210-599-5555, who would that be? And maybe it's somebody you did see when they were alive. Or maybe it's somebody you never got the chance to. Maybe you never got to see Elvis. We never got to see Jimi Hendrix. Who would it be? 210-599-5555. You get one more shot. Name your name. And we did this once before. We had a lot of, it was a very interesting, there was a lot of variety to the answers. They were not all rock stars. Most of them were. Uh, some of them were bands. Some of them were solo performers. Some of them, like I said, were people that had seen, they had seen this person back in the day, but wanted to see him again. And in, in many cases was also never saw them, never got to see them. I'm too young. I was, he was gone before I could go see him. I mean, Elvis has been gone now. It's, it's been, you know, 40 years. 46 years, I guess, right? If I'm doing the math right. 210-599-5555. Who would that be? One more chance to see a singer that has shuffled off the mortal coil. We'll also get your votes in the JR poll. There's some other things we're going to talk to as we go along here on KTSA 210-599-5555. And I think I've told you this before, but um, I'm not a big concert guy now because I got spoiled in my youth. Being in radio, you would get a lot of tickets. Uh, you would get to see a lot of shows. I went to a lot of concerts that, to be honest, it was kind of it was kind of borderline on whether I even wanted to go. But if they, if they gave you the tickets, if you had the free night, or if somebody you knew wanted to go, I would go. I saw a lot of bands that way that were they were okay. It was a pretty good show, but they weren't they weren't my favorites, and I was kind of spoiled by that. I thought I would always have that. You know, I thought there'd always be this this river of you know radio station free promotional tickets, and then when that dried up. Because I moved into talk radio, suddenly I didn't really have the appetite for spending the full ticket price. And, of course, the tickets have gone up, too. But, like, when you get something for free, it's really hard to bring yourself to pay the face value for it, you know. But if you've always paid the face value, it's not as difficult. So I'm not asking you to pity me. That's my problem, not yours. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people I I think I would have gone to see. Uh, Definitely David Bowie. Um. I, I definitely regret uh, n- never somehow never getting around to or thinking it would be important to go uh, see like uh, I'll give you one that, that I think of a lot um, in excess Michael Hutchins amazing performer 
somebody that was big, you know, was around in my era, my youth. And I just, you know, you figure, well, one of these days, who thinks he's going to die so young and so weirdly, you know, asphyxiated in a hotel room closet? Uh, but who was it for you? 210-599-5555. I was way too young to have ever seen Elvis. I was only like 11 when Elvis died. Um, I did get to see Whitney Houston, and that was an amazing show. And I'm so glad I at least saw her once. Never saw Michael Jackson, never saw Prince. Uh, who, who is it for you? 210-599-5555. Um, we'll talk about that and get your votes in the JR poll. We'll start with Brian on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Brian, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So you get I, uh, one more ticket to see one more show from a performer who's no longer with us. Who would that be? Uh, that would be Mahalia Jackson. Oh, gospel. Yeah, and I don't know a lot of people. I imagine a lot of people don't know who she is, but I thought she was tremendous. And, I mean, I've been to a lot of shows in my lifetime, and I have to say that that would be one I'm sad I missed. I, I have to tell you, I, I love her music. I have a couple of CDs uh, of her. I'm not a big gospel music listener ordinarily, but there's something so majestic about her voice. I just get I get goosebumps listening to her. Yeah, and I imagine she's a pretty good live performer. So That's a great one. That's a great one, Mahalia Jackson. Thank you for that. I don't know how long has she been. Do you know how long she's? I don't even know how long she's been, been gone. Uh, I... I I seem to think that her her funeral was a big deal, um, and I know she sang at some. I think she sang at Martin Luther King's funeral. Like I think that was she was one of the you know featured people at his funeral. So I imagine she lived up until that point. But I honestly I don't even point, know when, yeah. when she died. Maybe maybe yeah. one of the other callers knows. Yeah, and I'll look I'll look it up. But that's that's a great for I'm glad you mentioned her. That's a great choice. Brian, thank you. Uh two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So you have one more show, one more ticket for a performer no longer with us. Who would it be? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. George is on KTSA. Hi, George. Hey, uh, Jack. I would go with uh, the Eagles with Glenn Fry, but it oh, happened yeah. to be the Eagles that had the, it, right before they started the mass, uh, you know, people leaving. I would have Joe Walsh there, and uh, I would only be about seven years old. But so you want to see it? You want to see the original Eagles lineup? In other words. Original Eagles lineup plus uh, Joe Walsh, and I'd wanna I'd, and, and maybe Linda Ronstadt would would come do a cameo, but you know I would I'd be able to uh, party with Joe Walsh. Yeah, yeah. None of the other guys. I really don't. Right. You know, I don't want to okay. hang out with the other guys, but you know, me and Joe because mm-hmm. he seems like the the funnest and most approachable guy out of the entire group. And then we have a great concert, and then we go to uh, Magnolia's Pancake House afterwards, and, and, and really. Boy, you got a whole, you, know, you got like a whole life uh, life plan worked out here. Yeah, I meant I this is going to be more on than one much. night, I guess, right? No, no, we start early. Oh, okay, and, all right. Uh, um, and I did look up uh, Mahalia Jackson for Brian, and um, she died in surgery. 
1972, she was having a career resurgence. She was apparently touring the world, uh, doing a lot. She did perform at Martin Luther King's funeral. That's correct. Um, and she went into the hospital for a, a, a surgery and, and passed away there. Not very old. I think only in her 60s. Uh, 210-599-5555. All right, so you get one more chance to see this artist perform one more time. Who is it? And Ron is next on KTSA. Ron, good evening. Good evening. I'd like to hear Leonard Cohen, not necessarily for his most famous songs, but some of those those last three albums were really, really good. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Darkness and... uh, you know, come healing and all those different songs like that. You know, it's interesting that every time we have this conversation, Leonard Cohen's name comes up, and I, I that really is a tribute to him because, as you know, I mean, he wasn't a pop star. He wasn't a radio, you know, radio airplay star. Uh, he was kind of a musician for people that really like and appreciate music, right? Yes, and, and I didn't even discover him until near the end of his life, right, right about the mm-hmm. time he stopped touring. And so mm-hmm. I never got an opportunity to see him in, in live in concert. Kind of like a story, almost like a throwback, like more of a storyteller almost than anything else. But, yeah, no, definitely a unique talent, Leonard Cohen. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate that. Uh, 210-599-5555. You can also email me, uh, jack at ktsa.com. Uh, Angela says uh, she would pay any amount of money. Money would be no object. If she, if she could see B.B. King one more time, and I would be right there with you. I would be in the same row, Angela. That is, that is a great choice. Stevie Ray Vaughn says, Joe, uh, he says, I was too young to see him at the time of his passing, but I know that he had cleaned up his life and gotten his life together, and I really wanted to see where his career would go. Um, so who would it be for you? 210-599-5555. Leon is on KTSA. Hi, Leon. Oh, wait a minute. Sticky button. There we go. Hi, Leon. How are you today? I'm good, sir. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Um, I'd like to hear Rock Rogers or see him one more time. So how long has he been how long has he been gone? He died on September the eleventh, nineteen sixty nine. His actual name was Leon Payne. Okay. And and what makes him the one that you think of when we ask this question? Well, first off, he was my dad. Uh, secondly, oh. he, he performed with a lot of the greats. He, uh, he even toured with Elvis when Elvis was first touring. Elvis wow. did one of his songs called I Love You Because, mm-hmm. and uh, he was covered by everybody from Hank Williams to Merle Haggard, George Jones, all the greats covered his songs. Yeah. But he, uh, he would not use his real name for the rock and roll genre because rock and roll was just starting and it kind of offended the country crowd so he he recorded under the name of rock rogers interesting interesting well missing your dad is certainly something i can relate to and and it sounds like you have definitely kept him alive in your heart how old were you when he passed i was 18 yeah Ricky did he Ware, know that you did he know that you liked his music this much? I mean, you know how you are when you're a kid, sometimes you don't appreciate your parents. Did, did he know that you were a fan of his music? Well, he wrote a song called Lost Highway and I was kind of a big Hank Williams fan and mm-hmm. uh I I uh, he and I recorded one of Hank's songs together called Turn Back the Years when I was very young. 
And mm-hmm. uh, yes, sir. I, I, actually, I was a Beatles fan, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, he did get kind of upset with me. But you know, yeah. he he definitely paid the bill. He he was blind. Uh, he actually had one eye sight in one eye. You can Google him. Uh, we would go by KTSA and play some of the songs for Ricky as he was writing them. Uh, Ricky and he yeah. were good friends. Ricky Ware. Oh, that's, those are some uh, amazing stories. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll mention it to Trey. I'm sure Trey will remember, too. But, uh, Leon, oh, thanks yes, for sir. that one. That's What were you going to say? Well, I, I, uh, I met Trey a couple of times also. Uh, good people. Excellent, excellent, wonderful, wonderful family. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell him that you called tonight, and I, pre- I appreciate your call, Leon. Thank you. Thank you for telling that story. Uh, 210-599-5555. Debbie is on KTSA. Hi, Debbie. Hi. How are you? Uh, let me check. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> um, so there's this little band called Rush, and Neil Peart was the best drummer on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh Getty Lee and Alex Lyson are still alive, but mm-hmm. uh, they had quit touring after Neil Peart's wife died. Um, but I met them on their first ever tour when they were promoting their first album, Fly By Night. And <laughs> they were playing a place out on uh, Bandera Road called Randy's Rodeo, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was studying radio, television, and film, and I was friends with Lou Roney and Joe Anthony, who were DJs at KMAC, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, which I don't think KMAC exists exist anymore. But um, anyway, they invited us um, to go backstage, and they invited us to the after party, uh, yeah. me and my boyfriend at the time, and uh, we got to be friends with them, and every time they came to texas we would um join their they had a caravan (laughs) and we would join their caravan and follow them to all the different locations that they played even when they started playing big Mm -hmm. arenas Mm -hmm. Uh, they would always listen their concerts free because you know we were friends with them yeah what a great boy what a great story yeah it was it was awesome it was and neil pert just passed away like what a couple of years ago right yeah um it was that was a sad day. I can't remember when it was, but it was recently. But it was before COVID. Okay, maybe a few years ago. But yeah, I do remember that. I remember when it happened. Yeah, that's a that is an amazing Bye. connection. So you you definitely have memories with them, but you would still love to see one more show. Debbie, thank you. Appreciate that call. Last night, we uh, played a piece of the brand-new Smokey Robinson uh, song, first new album from him in a decade, and today we got word uh, that one of the original pioneering artists in Motown's, I guess you could say, dynasty has passed away, Barrett Strong, the age of 81. We'll hear his biggest hit coming up a little bit later on. I don't know if it's just me, and I, I certainly haven't made like a scientific study of the all the channels and stuff, but it, it feels like, tell me if you agree or disagree, it feels like the Tyree Nichols story is um, fading away. 
So this was the man that was beaten to death in Memphis a few weeks ago. And um, we've had charges brought against the officers, the firing of the officers. They have uh, now also acted against EMTs that didn't respond pro- appropriately to the scene. Um, we braced for the reaction to the release of the video that occurred last Friday night in Memphis. But what is the actual story of Tyree Nichols? We're in danger, I think, at this moment of Tyree Nichols becoming a term, not a, not a man. Yes, the reaction to the beating is global and condemnatory and rightly so. But what, what led to this? What started this? What actually happened on the night when five members of a now defunct, highly specialized police task force pulled over Nichols and beat him so badly that he died of his wounds two or three days later. Why is it that an elite task force that was supposed to be doing uh, violent gang crime enforcement, why were they pulling over a guy who was, quote-unquote, driving erratically? And what is driving erratically? I mean... We're in San Antonio. Most people are driving erratically. You'd have to pull over the people that aren't. What are we talking about? Why on the video are they so um, enraged at him? If this is just a driving erratically stop, why does it escalate so quickly? So were they on some other official business and they just happened to see him driving erratically? I understand they'd have a duty to step in, even though that's not the normal function of their task force. But typically when someone is stopped for that, it's a fairly low-key situation. There may be a sobriety test. But in the opening seconds of the of the video, they rush the car. There is already high adrenaline, high emotion. They're screaming at the top of their lungs at him. They yank open the door. They drag him out, and we all know what happened. It just doesn't look like, even if he is suspected of being blind drunk, this is not what you would expect. And that's why I think before this story gets pigeonholed or fades away, it's important to find out who he was that night, what he was doing that night, and more importantly, what were they doing that night? Was he somebody they were looking for? He has no criminal record from what I've read. Is that right? I think that's right. Was he on their radar for something? Was he mistaken for somebody else? Or his vehicle mistaken for somebody else? Could one of these officers have had a personal issue with him? Um, Which still wouldn't begin to explain, let alone justify what we saw. 
So, while everybody reacts to the beating, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't, um, hopefully there are journalists in Memphis that are still working this story. Because it gets worse the more random this becomes. Like, the more we have to believe or we are told that he was just driving erratically, and again, that's very imprecise, the worse their reaction seems. It seems maniacal. And it gets even more disturbing if it turns out that wasn't the reason at all, or they were looking for him, or they were hunting him. And I worry that this story might fade away for this simple reason. There are people who needed this story to be something it turned out not to be, right? We all know that. There are people who always hope there will be the right color combination so that they can make the talking points or the stake the position that they always take. And, and when this story didn't lend that uh, to them, didn't turn out to be that for them, they were done with it. They muttered a few things about, well, it's still white supremacy and black cops can be racist, but, but it was, but it was clear they, they, this just was not for them. They'll, they'll surface, they'll pop up at the next one. But in the meantime, I do think we all ought to know what, what led up to this. What, what was this about? It seems to me you can't really be passing judgment on it without knowing that, and yet we're doing that, all of us, including me. 210-599-5555. All right, so we talked about um, the President of the United States being a cringy, uh, unconvincing electric car salesman, which he seems to be. Um, and I wonder if part of the reason that he is humping electric cars so hard and we're getting such a sales pitch from the administration and and really from as i mentioned watching the football games on sunday all the car companies are advertising right now are their electric vehicles even though they have very few of them and virtually no one who ventures onto their lot is looking for one it's the inverse of what's actually happening and where the market actually is. I'm not saying they're not coming, and I'm not saying they won't get more popular, and I'm not talking them down or telling you not to get do whatever you want. I'm just saying reality does not reflect what they are doing and what he is doing. And then I look at gas prices, and I don't know if you've noticed, but they're going up. The national average price of gasoline has been going up for five straight weeks as of Monday according to Gas Buddy. And I wonder if maybe what we're being set up for, this is like the prequel excuse. So when gas prices go back up to 4 bucks a gallon or four fifty a gallon, they're going to say to us, hey, we told you. We, we were, we've been telling you. We don't have your back on this one because we've been telling you to get an EV. We, we've been warning you. We've been encouraging you. We've got the $7,500 tax credit. I'm so old, I remember when there was political pressure on politicians, whether they were Republicans or Democrats, when gas prices went up, there was only one thing to do, and that was do everything possible to bring them down. 
Because if you didn't, high gas prices would bring you down politically. That was the story in the 70s and 80s. But now, I think our politicians are getting ready to tell us that higher gas prices are a feature, not a bug. They're our fault. It's because we're relying on something that's old school and and old-fashioned and there isn't enough of it and you shouldn't want it anyway. And good that the prices are going up. Because remember, Pete Buttigieg said this, they go up higher, people will convert to EVs faster. I think we're being set up. I really do. I don't mean to sound paranoid, but I mean, it sounds to me like kind of a one-two punch. So when it happens, and you're in sticker shock again at the pump, their response isn't going to be, we're doing everything we can. Because remember, there isn't much left now. They've already unleashed the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Can't keep doing that. I think their response is going to be, hey, we've been telling you about EVs. You're just not, we've preached the sermon, but you have not heard it. On the JR poll, we asked you if this weather has changed or did it change your plans for today. Uh, 58% said yes, 42% said no. And we'll have a new JR poll tomorrow. Find it anytime at KTSA.com. You can find our show anytime on demand at KTSA.com. You can also look for the Jack Riccardi Show anywhere you like to get podcasts. Uh, we learned uh, over the weekend of the death of Motown artist Barrett Strong. He was 81 being mourned by uh, Motown, the company, but also Motown, the community. Uh, Barrett Strong was definitely uh, one of the, I'd say one of the originals, you know, um, one of the the original kind of uh, signature sound, signature artists um, for for Motown, uh, helped... Uh, write and create some of the most memorable uh, songs in Motown history, like I Heard It Through the Grapevine, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, Just My Imagination, uh, and many others. Um, Had a long career in the uh, music business, creating hits for other people, was said to be able to write music and come up with lyrics and songs in a matter of minutes in some cases, Uh, but also was the voice of the very first charting hit that Motown Records, the company, ever had. And here it is. We'll leave it with you tonight. Money. That's what I want. And Barrett Strong. Have a good night.